taking a break from eating gummy bears to bring you another podcast. Seriously, I got four bags of gummies a couple weeks ago, the big bags for helping out at a friend's wedding, and I've been gorging ever since. And by the way, did you know that gummy bears are fat-free, gluten-free, and low in sodium? That's, that's what it says on the bag. Good stuff. Okay, as many of you are aware, the Olympics are happening in Tokyo this summer. They were supposed to be last year, but pandemic and whatnot. And so they're on for 2021 here in Japan. And right after the Olympics, the games don't end. That's right, the Paralympics take place. And this week on Perkett Pod, we're talking to a guy going to his third Paralympics, Chuck Aoki. Perkett Pod, sometimes he's at play. Perkett Pod, find out what he'll say. Perkett Pod, who's coming on today? Perk and Both the Olympics and Paralympics are filled with so much pomp and fanfare. And despite this one happening in the COVID era, the pageantry will still be in full effect, which brings us to... Random Ranks. This time on Random Ranks, I'm celebrating the opening ceremonies of the Olympics and Paralympics by shouting out the top 11 countries that take part in the Parade of Nations that I have no idea where they are located geographically. Okay? There's a lot of them. Number 11, Cook Islands. I know where Marshall Islands is. I just, Cook, I just don't know. Number 10, Tuvalu. It's a country. Number nine, Comoros. Not comatose, Comoros. Number eight, Cape Verde. So I'm I'm assuming it's on the water somewhere, maybe green water. Uh, Number seven, Kiribati. Not a martial art, a country. Number six, Vanuatu. (laughs) These are actual countries, y'all. Number five, Turkmenistan. Not Turkey, not Afghanistan, but rather Turkmenistan. It's a thing. Number four, East Timor. That's uh, T-I-M-O-R. I don't don't know if there's a West Timor. East Timor is the country that's in the Olympics. I don't know. Number three, Mauritius. 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 Something like that. Number two, Ma uh, Nauru. <laughs> this is what I swear these are all countries. Nauru. And number one, Eswatini. There it is. The top 11 Parade of Nations countries that I have no idea where they are located geographically. The USA. They, I know where they are, and uh, they'll be in Tokyo, of course, for the upcoming Paralympics. And making his third Paralympic appearance in the brutally tough sport of wheelchair rugby will be Minnesota's Chuck Aoki. Chuck was kind enough to join me recently from Denver, Colorado, where training is in full for the Paralympic Games, which happened later this summer, right after the Olympics. Here now, Chuck Aoki. Chuck Aoki, thank you so much for joining us on Perkin Pod today. My goodness, um, you are probably a really busy dude, so I, I, I definitely appreciate the time. What is going on in your world right now? Is it just full-on training right now? 
Hey, Perth. Uh, yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. You know, I appreciate uh, the invitation to come on. And I always got time for my Minnesota people, so no there worries go. there. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're full swing. Uh, we're full swing training for the Paralympic Games. You know, we're about 70 some days away. And so this is, they talk about crunch time a lot and, you know, it gets thrown around a lot. This literally is crunch time. This is like the last chance you have this net this, from the last, I'd say, you know, from 90 to about, you know, a week or two before you leave is when you're last. That's your last chance to really make an impact, you know, when it comes to training or, or whatever, film study, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, we're, we're full in, we're locked in. Uh, it's exciting. Actually, I, you know, we have train camps constantly. We have one to head out for a couple of days in Birmingham, Alabama. So I just moved to Denver. Uh, so I'm just, I'm crazy. I'm all over the place, but it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So you are in Denver right now. I'm in Denver now. Yep. Yep. Sitting are, in my apartment. Well, uh, Colorado Springs, is that where you train or do you train in Denver? So I trained my, my, by myself in Denver. There's a couple of guys on the national team with me, actually, in Denver, who we train together sometimes, you know, helpful to do stuff. And then when the whole team trains together, we actually train in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. That's kind of where our, our quote-unquote home is. Wheelchair, for wheelchair rugby, they've got a great facility, dorms on site, so we can go and stay there. It's really, really awesome setup, fully wheelchair accessible, which is super helpful. And the people there are just super great about helping us, you know, navigate the COVID challenges and stuff. So it's, uh, it's a really good setup. What is that? Where is that? Where, where exactly in Birmingham? Is it, is it a university or is it just a, a what talk to me about the facility? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So it's a, yeah. It's a place called Lakeshore foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and their mission, their, their, their mission is essentially to serve, you know, the people of Birmingham with abilities and disabilities um, kind of to the to, in their fitness goals. So they have tons of adapted programs for people in Birmingham and the state of Alabama, really, you know, they wouldn't, wouldn't turn someone away just because they live in Birmingham. But they've got a really awesome uh, yeah, facility. They've got an eight-mile track. They've got an Olympic pool. They've just got everything you could possibly want as an adaptive athlete. And so we, we go there and we stay there and train. And we use their basketball courts. We use their weight rooms and stuff. It's really, really an incredible place that we get to. I, I say a kid from Minnesota, I never expected to spend so much time in Alabama. But I, I've enjoyed it. So. It's different. I'll say that it's different. Yeah. I, I spent yeah. some time in Mississippi, Chuck. I, I, know, oh, what, yeah. I know what the South's like, especially the deep <laughs> South. Dude. So, so you are... Um, you you mentioned it is go time. You can you talk about your journey and and like I know you've you've been through this rodeo before, but my gosh, it probably doesn't get old, does it? It's it's probably <laughs> still pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I, I you're exactly right. Um, this is this will be my third Paralympic Games. I went to the London Games in 2012, my first. We earned a bronze medal, uh, silver from the Rio Paralympic Games in 2016. So my thing I like to say everybody is I'm just trending towards gold in Tokyo, right? How how else could it how else could it work out? Uh, but no, it, it doesn't get old. You know, there's, there's only so long in your life you get to compete as an elite athlete at an elite level. And I'm 30 now, you know, I'm a lot older than I was when I started. Um, and so it's helped me, that helps me reflect though a lot and realize, wow, this, I, I enjoy this so much, you know, getting to travel with my teammates, getting to compete, you know, and, you know, getting to do all sorts of cool stuff with, with apparel, the games are amazing, but really what, what makes it so special is just, uh, the moments we spend together as, as teammates, you know, just training, hanging out, just hanging out with some, you know, some guys have become my best friends in the entire world, you know, and just getting to spend those moments together is so special, especially as we've all gotten older, guys have families now, you know, you know, we can't, uh, can't socialize quite the same way we once did, maybe where we, you know, finish, finish out a tournament and then, you know, straight to the, to the bar and hang out for, you know, hours on end. It's a little different now, but it's still, it's still very special. We really enjoy uh, the time together.
Yeah, I'm glad you're getting that time together. That is that that does sound pretty magical. Do you, you talk about yeah. the the 2021 games now? It used to be 2020, obviously. You know, yeah. you, you talk about the the way you kind of go from you know day 90 to day you know two weeks out or whatever as <laughs> as as being the real concentrated effort time. And and here you had that kind of same mentality going into last year and last summer. And then all of a sudden it's like all the breaks are put on back in March and it's just like, Whoa, wait, what are we doing here? And, uh, and once it was determined, how, how much of an adjustment was that? How disappointing was that? How, how, how did that mess with you? Yeah. So (laughs) a lot of things have happened in the last year and three months since that happened. Um, what's, what's interesting is when, when it all, when we really first had the first major shutdown or it became clear that this wasn't just like, cause you know, we'd heard about COVID in January and February. It's like, Oh, there's this thing going on. You know, it's not, a, you know, no one was like really concerned about it, but I remember we were at a training camp actually, you know, getting ready to go to the games. Um, when, uh, when the NBA season was, you know, I forget what they suspended or whatever. And that was when we all kind of were like, wait, what? Like the NBA, like that suddenly hit us as like this moment of, okay, this is, this is serious. Something's really serious going on. And we flew home from that camp, you know, not knowing if we were going to, we were supposed to have a camp in April. Like, are we going to see each other in April? Are we going to see each other in May? And of course, we ended up not seeing each other until January of the next year, which is not what we had expected. But um, it, it, it messed with everybody, you know, and everybody was different ways. I think personally for me, when the news first came out that they were being delayed, not canceled, I did have relief in, in, in just the regard that, okay, it's delayed. It's not canceled because the real fear was, oh, my God, they're going to be canceled. And, you know, the last four years of our careers have just been like not wasteful. But, you know, the, the, the main thing we've been training for is just gone. And so not being 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 delayed was was a relief. And then, as you kind of alluded to, it was like, OK, now what? I have an extra year that I didn't think I was going to have to be ready for. I have you know other things in my life that I want to be pursuing and working on, you know, and so it was really just a, a matter. We all, at least I've known it with our team, we all took probably everyone from two weeks to a month, month and a half, just to kind of decompress and just, you know, train, sure, but don't stress. You know, everyone just kind of did their own thing. I personally, I took a few weeks off where I, you know, I still worked out some, but I wasn't like really focused. I just needed to kind of take a breath, set it aside for a minute and say, I'm going to have to ramp myself up for this extra year. I didn't expect to. And so I, you know, I knew I needed to allow myself to just take a breath. And, you know, set it aside because, you know, aside from the fact that we had the games delayed, there was also a global pandemic going on, you know, and all the challenges that came with that. So it was like, let's just allow ourselves to have some time, have some space uh, and just, you know, basically take a take a breath, I think is the way to put it. And so for me, yeah, I, I took a breath, stepped back, kind of let it go. And then we, you know, we started doing Zoom team calls where we talk about different things, just, you know, and mostly those were really just seeing each other, not even like super focused on rugby or training it was just hey how's it going what are you doing what are you up to oh i'm doing you know just kind of checking in and checking on guys beard growth you know so we have some very impressive beards at this point um and so that kind of you know that's how we really just spent a lot of our time was to catch up in that regard so i think that was really helpful for us you know the biggest challenge was in a lot of ways was was the emotional and mental side of it less than the physical because you know guys found ways to train everyone's really creative but the mental side of being together, being a team sport, you know, we're used to being together. You know, I would imagine, although I wouldn't presume for an individual athlete, it's a little bit easier. You know, it's not like you constantly have folks you're with, but we're a team. You know, at the end of the day, I'm one player. I can't, I can't do anything by myself, you know, and the same is true of all the guys. So 
the mental side was certainly challenging, but we have the, what we're lucky is we have a really strong team dynamic within our team. And I think that helped us power through some really, really challenging times uh, that were frustrating, certainly, but I think we, we got through it. More with Chuck Aoki in just a flash back after this. But first, Mike Bryant, kind enough to join us in studio again. Good to see you again, fine sir. Great to be here. All right. Well, I, I, the the legal process can be uh, awfully intimidating for for some people. Y- you help them every step of the way, don't you? Well, we try to. I mean, we we want to make sure they understand their rights, make sure they understand what their potential coverage is out there, and help them with the big issues they've got. People have wage loss, medical bills. They have all sorts of concerns. People who are charged criminal charges have concerns about those charges that we try to get to the bottom of what we can do to help them. You know, in the sports world, there's there's lulls every once in a while when seasons end and what. It, it, there's not a lull for, for an, an attorney like you, is well, there? Well, it's a weird thing because, like, suddenly, suddenly something will happen. You know, so, like, you think, oh, I got nothing going on right now, and then, boom, that night you get a phone call, or the next morning you get a phone call, and you're in the middle of something. that People need your help right at that moment, and we try to provide that. Provide justice for the injured, as you like to say. What does that mean to you? Well, it means giving people the information that they need to get the help that they need so that in times of, of major needs, they've got somebody there on their side. And that's you and, and your team at Bradshaw and Bryant. And so what, if, if somebody is injured or somebody does need help, what do they do? They call our office. They check the website with minnesotapersonalinjury.com or they call 800-770-7008. Mike Bryant, thanks so much for being a partner at Perkapod. Perk and I kind of want to go back to the start with you and and talk about your journey and and I know you you weren't always wheelchair rugby you were you were doing other adaptive sports and and whatnot yeah. but like what like when I guess the first question is when when did when were you confined to a wheelchair when were you you know when was that kind of the route mm-hmm. you were you were going to have to take yeah so I, I was born with a basically really rare genetic condition and so I have no sensation in my most of my legs and most of my arms and so what that meant was. When I was a little kid, and this is rare, so it wasn't like my parents knew, they knew it right away that I was born and just seemed like a normal, healthy baby, cried a lot, all that stuff. Um, it wasn't until I was about six when um, I had my first real serious injury. I broke my leg and I did, I walked on it and I didn't, because I couldn't feel it. It didn't hurt. And so at that point is when the doctors and my parents were kind of like, okay, something's going on here. It's not, not ordinary. Um, and so what happened was, is I spent the next about four years where we would, I would get hurt, kind of rehab, get back to it, walk around again, and then inevitably I'd get hurt again. And so it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until I was about 10 years old when finally the doctor sort of said to us, look, you know, he can still walk a little bit. I still have, and I still today, this day, have some ability to ambulate. Um, but they said, if he wants to keep that function, we think he should because it's helpful to have that little bit of function. He just started using a wheelchair full time. So I was about 10 years old when, um, when they said to me, yeah, you know, you need to, you need to use the chair full time. That's going to be what sort of, and that sort of started my journey on the adapted sports level, which, um, you know, started with wheelchair basketball. How, how much of a gut punch was that, Chuck? I, I, I can imagine, I can't, I can't imagine actually, <laughs> like, you know, being told that, that the wheelchair was the way it was going to be. What, how did you take yeah. that emotionally? And as a kid, you know, the, it's just, yeah. it's got to yeah, be so no, hard. As, as a kid, it was, it was tough. It was, it was really hard at first. I, you know, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it and act like it wasn't. It was really, it was really frustrating, really tough. You know, my dream, you know, I grew up in Minnesota. My dream was to play for the twins, you know, and obviously I, odds were pretty good. I wasn't going to play for the twins. 
but you know, I always say it's, I don't think it's super fair for a 10 year old to have to lose their dream, you know, just evaporate, you know, uh, we obviously all realize, oh, we're never going to be pro athletes, but you know, I, I don't think it was super fair for that to have to happen to me. Of course, that's just life. Um, but yeah, it was frustrating. You know, it felt like that suddenly a whole world of mine had just been shut to me, so to speak. And that's just gone. You know, you're not going to be able to play sports the way you wanted to. You can't play baseball. You know, you're never going to get to do to do those things. Now, I already have been limited to just like baseball, really, because it was the least running you could do. I'm soccer, you obviously have to run football. You know, I couldn't play those sports with the stuff I had going on. But baseball, they're like, OK, you know, you can probably do this. You mostly just have to swing, you know, and you run a little, but it's not too bad. Um but, uh, but yeah, so they, um, so that was kind of my, that it, it, it was tough. It was frustrating. It was hard. Um, and I was, I was upset as it, you know, as a, any 10 year old would be, you know, it's like, yeah. why, you know, what is, what is, why, why is this happening to me? Why is, it doesn't seem fair. Um, but you know, luckily I have had, I had really supportive parents who sort of, you know, allowed me to be frustrated and upset, but then, you know, after a point in time sort of said, all right, you know, we don't just get to sit here. What are we going to do? You know, you, you, there's lots of things we can do. And I'm, super thankful to them for finding adaptive sports for me to, to give me something to do basically. Yeah. And a lot of that was through courage center, at least initially, I know. Yeah. And then I, I ran into you the first time as a teenager doing yeah. sports through that program. And uh, can you talk about kind of that development and, and, uh, and how important that was for you? Oh yeah. I mean that, that really courage, the courage center, I think it's courage, Kenny rehabilitation institute now yeah. really, um, really changed my life. I mean, there's no other way around it. Um, you know, I started off doing swimming lessons there and those were okay. I sink like a rock, so I wasn't super great at those. Uh, but um, we shifted into basketball when the director of sports director at the time basically saw me in the parking lot, just pushing my wheelchair. I was like, hey, do you want to play wheelchair basketball? And I was like, yes. And my mom was like, okay, I just play wheelchair basketball now. Um, and so I, that, I, I got started with that. And like I said, it really, really changed my life in terms of it was the first time I was able to compete with other kids in wheelchairs full on I gave you know gave me a competitive outlet I could actually play the sport I could do the sport I could be successful at the sport you know we won a couple of national championships in high school which I like to say I was a small part of I was not a major part of but I was a part of it I started <laughs> anyway um yeah but so it was uh that was definitely you know it, it was changed my life in terms of confidence you know I made some of my best friends in the world uh from playing wheelchair basketball which is who are you know still great friends to this day you know, it gave me confidence. It gave me the ability to feel like I could achieve and accomplish things. And then, so basketball, you know, is how I started. And then, you know, I found rugby through Curtis Kenny as well. Actually, they had a rugby team there. And that, you know, from there, it was just like, that's when the, the rocket ship took off. And it just, you know, I haven't looked back. Yeah. And that, and yeah, it was, is there's so many adaptive sports and, and I know you've tried just about all of it. Is there an adaptive yeah. sport that you haven't tried, Chuck? Like, do you, like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you've, yeah. you've done skiing, haven't you? I've done skiing I, and I love skiing. I can't wait till my competitive career is over so I can ski full time. I, I, I did it once. I kind of landed really weird. And I was like, oh, God, oh, no, I broke my wrist or something. Luckily, nothing happened. It was OK. Yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. like, I probably shouldn't do this until my, my more competitive career is done. But no, I've done skiing. I've done you know track and field. I didn't like track at all. I have no interest in doing that. But just, I'll just put that out there now. Um, you know, I've done I, about the only thing I've never done is sailing. I haven't done the sailing yet. All right. Be the one to try. I'll have to try that at, at some point. But no, basketball, rugby, tennis, um, you know, everything. And, I, and, you know, I think it's great that I have there are so many sports out there because rugby is really fun and I love playing it. I'll play it for the rest of my life, hopefully. But at some point, you know, you start to get beat up and you need to say, OK, I need to have something a little less high impact in my body. And it's great to have those options out there. 
Yeah, it is a brutal sport. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, uh, you know, and, and like, I, you know, obviously that murder ball documentary that came out in the mm-hmm. 2000s was just such an eye opener to a lot of people that like, wow, oh, yeah. not only does this sport exist, but it is hardcore. Can you talk yeah. to me about that and sort of your introduction to that sport? Oh, yeah. Well, murder ball is, is how I discovered it, really. You know, I'd heard of it a little bit beforehand, but hadn't really thought about it much. But I, I recall, actually, I was in a hospital room for just, you know, a health issue I'd had in, in, I think it was 2004, 2005. Um, and my mom and I watched it, you know, and we're like, you know, a 15-year-old kid sees this sport where guys are partying and crashing into chairs and swearing and trash talking. And, of course, a teenage boy's like, yes, please, like, let me play that sport. <laughs> Um, and you know, my mom was hesitant at first, but you know, she was like, uh, eventually kind of came around and said, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Let's give it a whirl. Um, and you know, like I said, I showed up to my first practice and I got beat up and sent flying and launched and crashed into walls. And, you know, on the way home, my dad's like, how was it? I was like, oh my God, I loved it. Like, that was amazing. I can't wait. You know, we like to say in rugby, we will try it for the first time. Most people fall into one or two boats, either you get hit and they're kind of like, you know, their eyes get wide and they're like, oh, like. I don't know if I'm going to like this. And some of the people come around, but then there's the other half, half of people who you hit them and their eyes light up in that. Oh, like, yeah, like, let's do that some more. And you know, I was definitely in the second half of the eyes lit up and I was like, yeah, let's, let's keep doing this. And so, like I said, murder ball is how I, I found wheelchair rugby. And so it's got me to show up to, like I said, show up to a practice. Um, and then, you know, I said, I played a couple of years in Minnesota before going to college at university of Arizona, which has the only collegiate team, which was really cool. You have to be a, a you know, collegiate athlete, which was super fun. And then made my way back to Minnesota for a period and then played for the Minnesota team again. And then back to now, now, now here in Denver um, for the last two and a half years, all interrupted by COVID, of course. <laughs> We've got more coming up with Chuck Aoki when Perkett Pod returns. Sean Bernard of Edina Realty. Great to see you again, man. How's the real estate game? You know, it's been really, really busy. So I feel fortunate that it's been busy. It's kind of a crazy market. Everybody knows it's a seller's market. But that doesn't mean that if you're a buyer, you can't still find your dream home. I just did a closing the other day, and uh, this young couple, I feel like I'm 100 saying that, but this young couple was able to buy their dream home, and we were able to find it for them. One of the cool things that I'm doing this year is I'm helping out local artists and bands. So a portion of every sale on the buy or sell side is going to go to a local artist or band. That's fantastic, because especially these days, they, they need that help. Where can people find you, Sean? Uh, The best thing to do is just give me a call at 612-859-2594. They can text that number as well for the people that just are a little bit scared of realtors. Just text it, and then we can set up a phone call. Sean Bernard of Dyna Realty, thanks for being such a great partner at Perkett Pod. Thank you. And if you're listening to this podcast and you love music, I got a great podcast for you to listen to. It's The Brian Oak Show. Give that a listen anywhere you find your podcasts. Perk. For those that haven't seen wheelchair rugby, can you kind of lay it out for us? You know, obviously there's, um, you know, it's similar to rugby, but with chairs, it's different. How many are on each team? What are you trying to do exactly? How would you describe the sport to those who haven't seen it? (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I tell them first, it's awesome check it out but um no you know it's four and four on a basketball court uh you know because the chairs just you can't you know a lot of people ask interestingly enough say oh did you play on grass and it's like you know not really because it's just you can't move a chair the same way on grass you can move it on on a basketball court so we played a basketball court four and four um 
and it is completely full contact. It's the only totally full contact Paralympic sport. Um, there are some rules about hitting, like, you know, like in football, like in rugby, you can't hit a guy directly from behind that sends him into a total pale spin, you know, because, you know, it's funny. We want to protect people, even as you play a sport that's very physical and not try to knock people over. Um, but, you know, you try to avoid that. And then it's really a, a nice mix of rugby. It's got some elements of uh, hockey, actually, with a penalty box that guys spend time in the penalty box if you commit a certain foul. Um, and the goal of the game, though, is essentially is you have this ball, and much like rugby, you have to cross the goal line with the ball to score. It's not like football where you can go in the end zone. You know, you can catch it first. You have to have the ball on your possession when you cross uh, to, to go ahead and score. And so we've got a lot of rules like that. We've got a key area, which is similar to a basketball key in terms of length of time you can spend in there. And so you get kind of different strategies with some teams like to press a lot. Some teams like to fall back and kind of play more of a, a key defense. Some teams play zone defenses. Some teams play man defenses. You know, it's got a lot of elements of a lot of different sports. I think we just continue to call it rugby because at its heart, you know, it's just it's a it's a physical, intense sport, much like rugby is, and it's it really really fits into that same sort of um, ethos, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. How do you turn the ball over? Like, how do you just can someone just rip it out of your hands? Is that is that what's happening? That someone can rip it out of your hands. They can knock it off your lap. They can swat your pass. There's all kinds of any, yeah. anything like yeah. that is fair. Um, that some contact body to body is allowed technically it's not none is allowed but you know refs will always let some kind of battle and go you know before they before they call it you know kind of let them play like guys have that play and then um there's other there's a few penalty type rules there's a shot clock much like in basketball with 40 seconds score clock i guess so you have to score within 40 seconds or else the ball gets turned over so that kind of keeps the pace of the game moving because they used to not have that and it was, you know games would end and you know we play four eight minute quarters games would be ending in scores like 10 to nine because the team would get a lead and they'd say, well, we're just going to hold the ball because there's nothing stopping us from holding. So they added the score clock to make it much more high paced. And it's a lot, I think it's a lot more fun to watch uh, as a result of that. Oh, absolutely. It's a tremendous spectator sport. I'm, yeah. I'm curious about the the wheelchairs themselves because yeah. wheelchairs are expensive, Chuck, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to tell you, but like, so are yeah. these like specifically di designed chairs for this sport? Yeah, so the chairs are specifically designed for wheelchair rugby. There's, um, there's probably four or five manufacturers in the world that make them in total, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're specifically designed for rugby. And then when players first start playing, you typically get a chair that, you know, maybe a hand-me-down. Kurt Kenny, for example, has a whole room full of chairs that someone can come and try it, you know, before you make take the plunge, so to speak, uh, to, um, to, uh, to, to doing the chair full on uh, or making your own purchase. And so once you kind of got into the sport and are really involved and engaged, you get your own chair. It's actually fit specifically for you because we're all, everybody's different body type, different sizes. And so on the national team, all of us have chairs that are really you know, designed for us. You know, specifically, there's about 50 different measurements they take and they do all kinds of manipulation with, you know, the, the seat rest and the backrest, depending on what kind of function you have. And it's, it's, it's a very comprehensive process and it is expensive. Um, I'm lucky that I'm sponsored by a really amazing chair company out of New Zealand called Melrose uh, Wheelchairs. It does a great job um, and hooks me up with, with stuff. But um, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's, it's a critical part of the sport. And I think one of the coolest parts too, because the chairs just look like these little chariots that just gotten beat up and battered and people just usually love to love to look at them. And, and there is obviously a, a, t a bunch of contact in the sport. Um, there's, you know, guys are falling down a lot too, like, you know, yeah. getting, getting knocked down. The chairs are going, you know, uh, 
upended and all that yeah. stuff. What what is that? Is that is that a whistle then until the person gets back up uh, upright or how does yeah. that work? So uh, at these, uh, most players aren't able to pick themselves up because most guys who play the sport have spinal cord injuries since they don't have trunk function. And so what happens with when players get knocked over is if you're knocked over and the play moves past you, they usually let the play finish because it's sort of like you're out of the way. You know, we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna leave you there until the play stalls or finishes. And then once you know once a goal is scored or it's turnover or time or something, you know they'll pick they uh, your staff comes and picks you up. But if you do fall in the middle of the play, like boom, you smack onto a guy's lap or something, then they'll stop the play and you know get it picked up and put you together. Now, of course, the, the funny thing is if you are a defender and you get knocked over and you land on someone's lap, it's actually a penalty on you. And you have to go to the penalty box. So not only do you have the indignity of getting knocked over and splattered everywhere, it's like, okay, you also have to go serve a penalty now, which is kind of fun and very much encourages the, the physicality of the sport. Yeah, you talk about the physicality, Chuck. Is I would imagine injuries are part of it too then, right? I mean, you're probably getting smashed up yeah. good at times. L- no? Luckily, the chairs take a lot of the impact. Um, and actually, if you ever watch it, our chairs have camber, which essentially – means that the wheels are angled. And so the angle of the wheels means that it's not like when I'm when I'm next to someone, my hands are actually probably five or six, you know, almost a foot away from that person because of it. So otherwise our hands would get caught in wheels all the time. And they I was gonna say, it does yeah. happen when you yeah. yeah. It does happen when you get tipped over, you know. I remember one time, luckily I got knocked over in this crazy I don't know how, how it happened, but I landed on my back and I eyes were closed and I woke up and a guy's caster, which is his little front wheel, like a roller skate was like about six inches from my eye and it was like oh god like please get this off of me so it's certainly injuries happen um the chairs like i said take most of the brunt of the impact so you have to get a new chair one uh, every couple of years especially at the high level um but the most injuries we suffer from are like overuse injuries because shoulders just aren't built um much like baseball players shoulders aren't built to do what we're doing to them um and so the, the effort has to be very much on the front end of doing lots of getting your getting ourselves warm and loose before we uh you know have heavy training sessions or heavy games but yeah. um yeah luckily despite you know it, ironically it's even though it's a very physical and targeting sport injuries are not super common which you know is a good thing really yeah here you go to your third paralympic games and congratulations chuck for for being named to the usa a team for a, for a third time and uh, you mentioned london you mentioned rio here we go to tokyo this has got to yeah. be so awesome what is a paralympic experience like for an athlete oh man I, the paralympic experience is just i, it, I, I mean it's the pinnacle of sport for us you know it's literally you can't get any higher than this um but what i think is so amazing about it truly is that you're representing your country. You know, you're representing something bigger than yourself. When really, when you get to the Paralympics, you're, you're part of a bigger global movement. You know, you're one piece of it. And sure, you know, we all are successful athletes in what we've done. And probably you get there and you see people from, you know, all over the world. You see Russia, China, Ghana, you know, Belize, South, you know, Argentina, everywhere. You know, you see all these different countries, and you realize you're just you're just one small part of this much much larger thing that's existed before you and will, you know, hopefully as long as all goes well, it's just after you. And so it's really an incredible experience to be a part of it. And, you know, the, the support that the Paralympics had in London was staggering. You know, we had sold out crowd, you know, deafening noise. It was amazing. Um, just, you know, you, you know, we went out, we went out in public one time to figure out what we went to do and we just got swarmed by people. And this is an experience you just rarely get as a Paralympian, you know, and that's fine. You know, we don't, we're not LeBron James or anything like that, but it was just incredible. You know, suddenly you just have these athletes, people just descending on you, wanting to 
autographs, pictures. And it's really a special, special experience. Um, Tokyo is going to be different. You know, I think we've all accepted that and understand that it's, it's just going to be different and that's okay. Um, but uh, it'll still be special. You know, it's still special. To, you know, the first time you come into the village and you're like, wow, like this is amazing. I'm part of, I mean, I'm in this like little world that was just created just for us. You know, and the first time you step on, you go onto the court and you look up and you see you're, you're playing a real stadium. It's just, it's amazing. You know, and so it's a, uh, it's truly a once in a lifetime thing. I'm lucky that I've gotten to do it three times in my lifetime. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a special, special experience that, um, you know, there's, it, it, I honestly, some, I, have a hard, I have a hard time putting words to it sometimes because it's just such a, such an incredible, um, such an incredible experience. I get it. I get it. And then you, you, you talk about the, you know, the international competition, what, who are the main competitors when you're talking about, you know, in, in London, you won a bronze in Rio, you won the silver in Tokyo. You, you who's in the way of that yeah, goal? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who are the main <laughs> yeah, competitors? Yeah. What countries of are course. the ones that you're really kind of dialed in and watching film on, as you say? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, it's great. The sport has really grown to have a lot of competitive teams. And so I would say, honestly, all eight teams that are going are really talented. Um, they're all good in terms of challenging for a medal. There's probably about five or six though, which is really impressive. And so Australia is the defending gold medalist from 2016. They beat us in double overtime. So they're, and they're still incredibly, incredibly good. They're still one of the, you know, easily one of the best teams. Uh, Japan is the reigning world champion in 2018. And so they're very talented as well. Um, and Great Britain is basically knocking on the door. You know, they've beaten, they've beaten all of the teams in the top three, which are us, Japan and, and Australia. They've beaten all of us. They've just never done it at a Paralympics. So they can easily, they can get, the, they can, you know, it's just a matter of them putting it all together. And then the Canadians actually remain a, a threat as well. So there's really five teams, three medal spots. And, um, you know, we're going to have to play, the way it's worked out, we'll play all but one of them, um, which is just like, you know, that's just, oh, actually, we could play all of them. Who am I kidding? Um, which is just, you know, we, we wouldn't have it in our way in some ways. We want to be the best and we want to prove that we're the best. And we're happy to do it by beating beating every single team that's uh, in our way. And that's that's certainly our plan. Yeah, no, exactly. You want to beat the best, you got to be the best. <laughs> yeah, or or exactly. be the best, you got to beat the best. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> now you, the, talk, I didn't realize that you lost the gold medal match in in overtime like that, that double overtime. double sorry double overtime, double overtime. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that had to be so heartbreaking what a gut wrench man oh uh, yeah it uh it's gotten better over time um it was it was you know in retrospect i could look back at it and say you know we went to double overtime with this team any one little play throughout that whole game could have changed it the other direction you know and we just kind of got unlucky that we were the team that got stopped at the last you know and with like two seconds left we got it stopped and so you know it just it, 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 it's a bummer. It's uh, it sucks, you know, but um, you know, I try to, and in, in retrospect, you try to look at the, the whole, the journeys a lot less than the destination, how it finished. And the journey has been incredible. You know, we had a really group, great group of athletes. Uh, we took 2016, a lot of whom have come, come on for kind of this next run through through 2020 or 2021 now. Uh, and so it's been a, it's been a special, it's been special. And, you know, and, you know, the, the result obviously wasn't what we wanted, but, you know, to play in such an epic game like that is something that, you know, I always look back on fondly, but it didn't quite go the way we wanted to. And it certainly will become a lot easier if, you know, this year we, we can, we can just finish the job um, for the first time and hopefully not in double overtime. Although we played a, in our last term before the pandemic, we went to four overtime for the team. So 
who knows? We won that one though. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> no, and don't get me wrong. Uh, silver medal is still absolutely phenomenal. I just, <laughs> I just know how you guys are wired though. And, and, uh, yeah, and how well, we, yeah you know, we, we go to, we go to try to win a gold medal. <laughs> right, right. Where do you see the sport going, uh, Chuck? Are, it, it's probably going in a, in a really positive direction. Obviously, the, you know, take away the pandemic pause and all that stuff. Do you, do you like the direction your sport is going? And, you, and, and do you like the, the thought that you're sort of one of the pioneers in, in a way of, of the sport? You're, yeah. you, know, you know, one of the guys that kind of set the tone for everything. I mean, you know. To- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, it's, uh- I'm, I'm very happy with how the sport's going, first of all. You know, we're in terms of, you know, when you think about a growth of a sport, it has to be done globally. It can't just be the top, you know, four teams are doing better. It has to be the top 30 teams are doing better. So our, our sport has grown tremendously across the world in terms of development. Um, they've done a great job of raising teams in Southeast Asia, across Eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East. Uh, I think Africa is kind of the next frontier that are really trying to get into. South America has a really vibrant uh, program as well, which is awesome, you know, to South America to have such a, such a quality teams. They're not quite to the level of Paralympic yet, but they'll, you know, they'll get there someday. And as long as they're having teams and training, it's really great. And so the sport as a whole, I think is, is doing phenomenally. And I think it will continue to do phenomenally. If we, you know, we, we pair just a really, like you said, it's exciting spectator sport with really competitive teams. You know, like I said, we're now up to five really competitive teams. And I think by the next games, we'll probably have eight competitive teams. We may expand to 12 teams at the Paralympic just because there's going to be that many teams out there that are good enough, you know, which is, which will be really awesome for us. And I'm hopeful that will happen. Uh, and then in terms of, you know, my, my, my own role in this, you know, I'm just, I just feel so lucky. You know, I kind of stumbled into this sport more than anything else. You know, I saw a movie and I was like, I want to go play that. And now here I am, you know, two Paralympics down one, at least one more to go. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping I can do my part in, in raising awareness of our sport. But really, I, I think for me personally, it's more about raising the awareness of adaptive sport more broadly, uh, because, you know, I like to say or I think it's true that when I grew up, you know, I didn't really know of any adaptive athletes who looked like me in terms of use the wheelchair. I couldn't really name any. And obviously, once I got further into sport, I, I got to see them and stuff. But, you know, we still meet people every day who have who don't know about adaptive sports and don't know they could play them and have them as an option. And so I think for me my biggest hope is that what I can, what will be looked at for my legacy is I helped raise the profile of adapted sports just broadly across the United States, you know, and even if just one or two kids see, you know, something I did or something I mean, did and said, Hey, you know, that guy, you also use a wheelchair. He looks like me. Um, and I want to be like him. You know, if, if I can just accomplish that, I'll feel like I've, you know, I've, I've, I've done my, done what I wanted to do. Uh, and you know, that that's really what I hope my legacy will be at the end of the day. And obviously I want which are rugby to grow and have lots of, lots of athletes, but uh, truly my, my main goal is for, for adapted sports just to become known across the country and for people, you know, all, all kids with disabilities to have someone who looks like them they can look up to um, as athletes. Eloquent. So, so well said. Thank you so much. I think your dog agrees with you, by the way. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Hey, uh, continued success. Uh, all the best here in the next few months. I know it's going to be crazy, but you know, just enjoy the ride uh, in Denver, yeah. in Birmingham, in yeah. Japan, wherever it takes me, yeah. <laughs> wherever it takes you, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for time uh, for your time. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Awesome. Chuck. Yeah, my pleasure, Brooke. Thanks so much for having me.
That'll do it for this episode of Perkett Pod. We want to thank our partners, Audio Wiz, Justin Bailey, theme song by Taylor Robert. Keep listening weekly for another episode with Minnesota sports influencers and icons on Perkett Pod. Feel free to share this podcast. Give us a simple subscribe click. It doesn't cost you a thing. Heart us, rate us, double tap us, whatever you want. And until next time, remember, shine bright. Don't be afraid to be weird and open your hearts to inclusion. Peace. Perk and Pond, sometimes he's at play. Perk and Pond, find out what he'll say. Perk and Pond, who's coming on today? Perk and Pond.